The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. As modern humans first walked the Earth roughly 70,000 years ago, the moon's orbit came into harmonic resonance with the outer planets of Jupiter, Saturn, and Uranus. The common denominators underlying these harmonic relationships are the earliest prime numbers of the Fibonacci series, 2, 3, and 5, the same numbers that interact to give us the harmonic relationships of music. Exploring the simple mathematical relationships that underlie the cycles of the solar system and the music of Earth, tonight's special guest reveals how Neolithic astronomers discovered these ratios using megalithic monuments like Stonehenge and the Karnak Stones. Discoveries that inform later myths and stories including the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Resurrection of Osiris, the Veda, the Hebrew Bible, Homer's Epic Tales, and the Return of a Quetzalcoatl. He explains how this harmonic planetary knowledge formed the basis of the earliest religious systems in which planets were seen as gods and shows how they spread through Sumer, Egypt, and India into Babylon, Judea, Mexico, and archaic Greece. He exposes how the secret knowledge encoded within the Bible's God Yahweh was lost as Greek logic and reason steadily weakened mythological beliefs. Recasting our understanding of the solar system, tonight's special guest seeks to reawaken humanity's understanding of how sacred numbers structure reality, offering an opportunity to recover this lost harmonic doctrine and reclaim our intended role in the outer life of our planet. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Richard Heath, a development engineer with the degrees in systems science and computer-aided design. His interest in megalithic astronomy and metrology has resulted in four books, including Sacred Number and the Origins of Civilization. Tonight's focus will be on the newest book, The Harmonic Origins of the World, Sacred Number and the Source of of creation. Richard Heath joins us directly from Wales, UK. Hello, Richard, and welcome to Veritas. Thank you very much, Mel. You say it very well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, this is a very deep topic. We'll be discussing music, the Fibonacci sequence, 432 hertz. I'm sure there's a connection here, but I'm always curious, how and when did your research begin? I think the uh, though I was interested in astronomy, uh, my my brother gave me um, a start by uh, coming up to Scotland where I lived and showing me his um, his understanding of the megalithic people's use of geometry, and um, he has run in parallel ever since, and we uh, still work together. And it, it, for the first time, you know, I was interested in stars before that. I became interested in these interesting numbers that occur between the time periods 
of the uh, celestial objects. The, in other words, the planetary world rather than the stellar world. And it turns out that it it has a um, a great meaning for the sacred numbers of the ancient world, and that implies that, that they somehow had come to understand the uh, the time period numbers, and uh, this can only have happened through the megalithic culture, uh, of which we know very little apart from their great stone monuments. And as I said before, I know a lot of your work is very technical, very deep, and for a reason. You're deep. You're driving into something that academia does not discuss. So because of this, you know, exact science, mathematics, ratios, Fibonacci sequence. So my goal is to make our interview easy to understand. Now, what is the significance of planetary harmony? Um, it's it exists. It's very simple, um, but our present culture uh, does not approach astronomy in that way because uh, we see everything as a dynamic object and we use mathematics to describe the dynamism of it according to the laws of gravity. Um, and uh, we would not expect that the moon had come into harmony with the outer planets. And um, so it's t it's been a journey of about uh, 15 or more years for me to, um, after finding that there was this harmony, realizing that that was very important for our history. When you see the type of construction at Stonehenge, uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza and other megalithic monuments, do you see a different type of mathematics than what we have today, do you think different mathematics preceded ours? I do think that our mathematics, which is something we've created, was preceded by a, a method of our arithmetic and geometry, so that the uh, whereas we talk about time having a length, I've been here a long time, um, this is literally true. Because if, if you take every time period as being equal, uh, then you can measure it as a length. If you decide to make every day an inch, then you can learn a great deal about the different time periods that you see in the sky between uh, 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 the solstice or uh, equinox, the, or between different the moon being at the full or, or half. So these different counting systems appear to have existed even in in the Stone Age, but when the um, in the Stone Age when we had the Ice Age, and the um, when that ended, uh, there is this flowering of the megalithic, and they appear to have used a very literal way of storing numbers as lengths, and those lengths were lengths of time. And so the monuments are the size they are because they had to record the lengths of time and they have the geometry that they have in order to be able to compare those lengths. Throughout the interview, I'm going to drop a few aspects that may not be related. A few pair of, let's call them parentheses, if you will. When I look at the megalithic monuments, you know, Baalbek and, and some of the others, and uh, we see a lot of 
information about dinosaurs, but we hardly ever see information about possible giants walking the earth. We see that on the Bible. We see it in their, you know, ancient books around the world. Why is it that giants are not placed into the megalithic monument equation? Well, in the world of uh, the human imagination, certainly giants are were held responsible for perhaps building these monuments because large people maybe could could make them. But um, uh, I don't. Uh, I, I it's an area beyond my specialism to talk about giants. Uh, I. Uh, see it perfectly possible for people to have built these monuments, and the evidence is that, that the, one, the, the monuments that we have that are from a relatively recent time were not built by giants. But uh, uh, I see giants as, uh, as something that perhaps we, we want uh, to see, uh, and they are part of our folklore, just as small people are. So I think it's, you know, it, from my point of view, I just have to get on with the evidence of the megalithic monuments, and I suppose it might not matter whether the people were a bit large or not. Well, the reason why you bring this up is because there are st certain steps in parts of the world, stair steps, that seem extremely high, you know, five, six feet steps. And that's right. why I brought that to the equation. I understand this is beyond your scope. but It was before health and safety. Yes, yes. and yes. But beyond folklore, you have little people around the, not around the world, but at least we have evidence of the, the uh, I'm trying to, the, the name is, is the fluorescences, home of fluorescences in Indonesia. So we have little people and we have, bone evidence of giants. But yes, it's beyond your scope. Now, I would have thought that mathematics being an exact science would be the same in the past as it is today, unlike science, which continues to evolve. No. Um, a lot of things have happened over the last uh, 4,000 years. Um, and we tend to think that everybody had it um, always in their minds. But um, uh, language, for instance, um, in terms of being literate as a general population, is relatively recent. And similarly, uh, the forming of the idea of a theorem uh, is, uh, you know, really belongs to the Greeks. Uh, so different levels of mathematics were built up since the ancient world. But my key key idea is that the ancient arithmetic of uh, of lengths holding numbers and geometries therefore comparing numbers, and also doing trigonometry, by the way, but doing it without them knowing about trigonometry as we see it. These things uh, are truly uh, belonging to a different culture to ours, uh, and so I I don't mean. Uh, mathematics at all, uh, I, I value it as a modern creation, something in, in, in the last few thousand years. But the, the, and, the, and this, these are the sort of obstacles we have 
to understanding the megalithic period because they had these things. Uh, they had the understanding that I've referred to of, of uh, ratios between celestial periods. They had them, but they they didn't have them in our way. And also when we study them now, we tend to use our techniques and it makes it very difficult. So I believe that we have to, in a way, open ourselves to the way they thought and then look at what they've done and see it as being an original and amazingly primitive but but direct way of understanding uh, the way the world was for them, seen from the point of view of the Earth. But you see, the notion today is that technological evolution is linear. This is what most people think, even academia. When we think of the Great Pyramid of Giza, they say to us, well, thousands of slaves were carrying stones and this and that. But many people think that the technology we have today is the best, yet we can't even come close to replicating ancient megalithic monuments which today, with today's technology. If the ancient ones possessed advanced technology, and there's a lot of evidence to prove that they did, to what do you attribute the gap in between the ages? What wiped it out, the technology? Did civilization fall? And if so, what happened? Um, well, uh, what I'm saying is that, that they didn't have a very great technology. They just were uh, able to find out the facts from what they did. So I, I, this puts me a little bit at odds. It's not really anyone's fault with uh, the theories of technology in the past, which from my point of view, I'm not willing to assume technologies in the past until there's a clear case for it from my point of view. Um, if people can do something without technology, then that would explain, I think, how what they did created technology. So instead of there being a technology in the past that somehow, and unprovably so far really, apart from little fragments of evidence, um, what created the ancient world was indeed these ratios and the idea that the gods were the planets. I mean, the planets were the gods. Should have said it that way around. Uh, because the the the, um, the religions of the ancient world may have been the first time that, that what we call religions existed, and they could have been based on the insights um, generated from doing this form of astronomy. And almost all of our religious ideas are, in fact, tainted by astronomical ideas. Uh, they, they're inspired by them. And... So if these ideas uh, were provided to the ancient world, the world of Sumeria, for instance, uh, as indeed I seem to find inside the stories, uh, using the techniques of Ernest McLean, um, uh, an elderly American uh, professor of music who uh, had, uh, in the 1970s, found four uh 
the story, the harmonic numbers in sacred texts having been put there deliberately to show a kind of like a, a divine world of musical harmony, uh, which uh, brought about uh, civilization. So the the, the uh, what I what I am proposing is that the megalithic culture trans transmitted its knowledge, and no one since the megalithic culture has had such a, a broad astronomical understanding until our own, which is different. Ours is all of galaxies and everything at infinity and everything, you know, today. But in those days, um, it was transmitted to the ancient Near East, probably from Atlantic Europe, and made uh, possible this kind of intellectual property of all these religions. Now, this is a very important topic here, because there's the astrotheology. Many people think that the Abrahamic religions are derived from cosmology or astronomy. You know, the seven, the, the 12 uh, apostles, the seven days, the, the uh, creation and so on. Do you think that the elite in ancient times were the ones who were imparted upon this knowledge of astronomy? Now we have the print and press, but a lot of this information is not even available to us. But in the past, they had an oral tradition, and only a, a few knew about this. Could it be that eventually they had to make the knowledge more palatable to the masses, and that's why they went from saying the sun to Jesus, for example, just to pick one one character, Jesus, the son, and Mary and Joseph and the apostles. But in reality, those were cosmological figures that were Translated into more human-like, and that and preceded to that were the Egyptians that had a similar way of disseminating religious figures. I think it, Anna, it was um, a mechanism partly of outward survival of uh, the knowledge. If the knowledge is to is to survive, it has to become common property in some way. Right. So the common property, uh, many people have said, became uh, things like games or dances or songs or um, um, the structure of a great book. Or uh, well, But it wouldn't be a book. It would be an oral – the oral transmitters of what we call books today uh, was a, a grand tradition that had existed – uh, right up to the Greek Dark Age, uh, of uh, where people would play a harp, you know, and and it would be drama, and it would tell the great stories, and there was a massive corpus of myths that were developed, and from this, uh, uh, we started to develop individuality uh, of the meaning of the individual, rather than the heroism of the king or of the gods. And so one see the uh, the truth of the figure of Jesus as being a um, a perfect representation of the individuality of the human being uh, and their possible role. 
So, you know, it, what I'm saying is it takes time for all of these, these ideas to come into existence. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today, with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it, because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.